Last time I came, I promised you I did a sermon on Superman. You remember that? And I told you that was part one. And I, and I pro told you it was a part two. So I'm going to do part two. I'm going to do part two today. But what we're going to do is invite my church in Savannah, Georgia, to join us. And so could you give Savannah, Georgia a big hand today? Come on, give Savannah. Yeah. I honor your bishop, I honor his beautiful wife. And today's topic, let me tell you, is so incredible. Each week I'm going to answer, I've been answering a question. And if you missed any parts of this, you can go to my name. My name is rickytemple.com. What's my name? rickytemple.com. Click on current sermons and you can catch all seven of these sermons. But today you, you get part two. So if you want to catch up or go, you can check it out. But here today, I want to answer one question. I want to talk about living, the series is called Living Under Covenant. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Living Under. The word covenant simply means commitment, being committed. God called us to be committed, and I'll talk about that in a minute. The problem is sometimes you look around and you don't see people living under covenant. People you thought were supermen who were living under covenant you find out they were not as committed as they, you thought they were. And that could be your mother, your father, a friend, a boss, a place you worked, someone, a mentor you trusted. But you have to decide that you're gonna live under covenant whether they do or not. And so each week I, I'm dealing with a question about your covenant, your commitment. God's commitment to you, which I'll talk about, your commitment to yourself, your commitment to your friends. And then I'm gonna to ask today a question about what your commitment teaches you about you. Repeat the topic with me, please. Say, what does my love life, does my love life say, about my commitment? say about my commitment? Now it's time for you to say amen. amen. Look at your neighbor and say, that's gonna be, be amazing. You may be seated, praise God. Whenever you talk to people, about commitment, the first thing that normally you hear is about a broken commitment. The question I'm answering today is about broken commitments. There are times when you meet people who've had no heartbreak, and they just brag about their love life and brag about all the friends they have, and they just make you sick because you don't have that story. Everybody has played the fool, the song said years ago. No exceptions to the rule. You know the rest of it, right? I ain't lying, right? You know? <laughs> My motivation for this sermon today is to take you on a journey that I think is a challenge for most people. For most people, when it comes to commitment to God, commitment to certain uh, lifestyles, or to, to a godly lifestyle, I mean to say, the one area that's the most challenging for them is their love life. Now, some of you are saying, what love life? <laughs> well, let's talk about the future one you may have down the road. 
We won't talk about the ones you had in the past. But in this talk today, in our teaching, I'm going to take you on a journey to look in the past and in the future, but I really want you to take a step back and answer this big question, how committed am I? And does my life say that up close? I love to talk about what other people are not. It's always fun to talk about who else is not committed. That's always easy. But my focus today is not other people. My focus today is to get you to not talk about the Superman who failed you, but to talk about your commitment and whether you are a committed person. This, for me, is easily seen in this series when you look at seven questions I'm going to deal with. And I, I pose them as questions because you'll remember them. And so the first question is, what is God committed to? Say that with me, please. Come on. Since he's the one that is calling us to a covenant or to a commitment, what is he committed to? Well, I believe he's committed to doing one big thing in your life, expanding your borders. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Expanding my borders. He wants you to have a big life. In Genesis 17, there's a whole study I do where I talk about a man named Abraham. At Genesis 17, he's 99 years old. How old is he? And at 99 years old, God speaks to him and God says, I want to establish a covenant with you. I want you to be committed to me because I'm committed to you. I'm going to give you a great land. I'm going to give you a great, great family. I'm going to give you all this stuff. But there's one thing I need to seal this covenant. In order for me to seal this covenant, I've got to cut you. Some of y'all get nervous, huh? I found this. And I thought this would be a good tool to illustrate what it was like to hear God have a moment with Abraham at 99 and say, hey, you want to be in a relationship? I've got to cut you. I've got to circumcise you at 99. Some of you say, that's too old for that. <laughs> No anesthesia, <laughs> cold turkey. <laughs> now, some of you are uncomfortable, but that's okay, especially the brothers. <laughs> but let me just explain, and, and don't, don't, don't get shy now because you're in church. So you're in church now. Oh, I can't believe you're up there with that knife talking like that. Don't you know he in church? Well, you watch some of the stuff on TV, it's way worse than this. <laughs> I'm just trying to make a point. God looked at, looked at Abraham and said, Abraham, uh, I need to cut you because I need to establish a blood covenant, a commitment. And I want you, the man, I don't want the woman, I want to deal with the, the leader of the family. And I want to remind you several times a day, you would remember this. You can act like you don't know what I'm talking about. In your most intimate times, you'd remember this covenant. When you're tempted, you'd know I'm in covenant with God and I should behave myself. I better put it this way, y'all look nervous. <laughs> but the point is, God was committed to doing whatever it took 
to pull Abraham into a covenant. And I love the fact that he's 99. Come on, say, it's never too late. Some of you older people just need to stop talking the way you talk. You act like you got one foot in the grave and the other hip on the gravestone. I mean, you just act like you have no future. But God sent signal to us, even at 99, there's hope for you. God can start a new walk with you. God can lift you to a new place no matter how old you are. So can you give the Lord a big hand and say amen to that? First question is, what is God committed to? He's committed to broadening your life. What are you? That's the second question. What are you committed to? It's not just what your teachers are committed to. It's not just what your professors are committed to. It's what you are committed to. What are you committed to in your life? Are you committed to being faithful? Revelations 2 and 10 says, be faithful unto death. That's the call. If you're committed, then it can't be just part-time. It's got to be complete. The third question is, not what is God committed to, not what are you committed to. Here's the big question. What is your family committed to? You see, sometimes it stops with you and doesn't spread to your family. God's call to Abraham was to spread beyond him. If I look at your family and I ask the question, what are the temples committed to? On the count of three, I want you to say your family name. You ready? On the count of three. Now, that's the test. You ready? One, two, three. <laughs> now, when I say what is your and you say your name, ready? What, is the, what are the committed to? Are you committed to entrepreneurship? Are you committed to making money? Are you committed to prayer? Are you committed to, when I go to your family reunion, what do I see you committed to? What are you committed to? Gang banging, hanging out? What, what are you committed to? What would be the family commitment? There's something about sizing that up, being honest about it. Based on our behavior, what is our commitment? And then the next thing that we talked about is what are my friends committed to? You see, I believe that if I want to know what you're committed to, I need to look at what your friends are committed to because you, did, you tend to hang around people who are committed to the same things you're committed to. And so if you back up for a minute, and let's not talk about anybody else, just your friends. If your friends do drugs, then you probably are somewhat committed to that culture. If your friends are into sports, you're probably committed to sports. So what are your friends committed to? And then today's question, what does your love life say you're committed to? Now, if I really want to know you, I can't just watch you in church. If I really want to know you, I can't just talk to your friends. I can't just talk to your family. I've got to see what you're like on the love side of your life. Because a lot of people are really strong in the Lord and they're really powerful and close to God until they fall in love. Some of you right now are streaming in. You used to come to church before you got a man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one next to you right over there. That's the one. She used to come to church, brother, before she met you. It's amazing how sometimes a person's love life changes everything. And you can tell they're in love, especially a woman. Now, a man, you, you really can't tell much. He just looks the same way all the time. <laughs> but when a woman in love, the nails start glowing, you know, go to get those nails done, right? <laughs> Hands, hair. Somebody knows something wrong with you. You went to the beauty shop twice this month. 
two times. You know you don't spend that kind of money. You ain't got a man, you wait two months. It don't matter, praise God. <laughs> Maybe three, let it go. <laughs> but when, when you see people who are in love, there are amazing things you learn. Amazing things you learn. And so what does your love life say? Has your whole life been about finding the right person? Is that what you're really committed to? When people talk to you, when you sit down with your friends, is that the main part of the conversation? How much of your time have you spent on developing your future, not dreaming about somebody else to share a future with? It's amazing how many people spend so much time putting off things, waiting for the right person to come around. I'm not going to buy a house because he may not like it or she may not like it. There's an amazing tendency to use that as an excuse. Your whole life is about finding the right person, but the big question is, are you the right person? Not, not finding the right person, but being the right person. You want to find a man with money, but you broke. I'm just saying. You want to find somebody who's faithful, but you can't stay focused on one person. I want you to pause for a minute and think about this for a minute. What, what does your love attitude, what does your love life say about your commitment? So you're really spiritual here, and you're really loving God in here, and you're crying and wailing before the Lord, but you weren't doing that last night. And so I decided that I would pick somebody in the Bible that I have not liked too much. If there's one guy in the Bible I don't like too much, his name is Samson. Now, I, I, for a long time, I didn't teach about him. He's in Judges chapter 14, and I didn't talk about him much because Samson has issues. And as a Christian, as a man who's committed to God, it used to bother me. How in the world could God even put him in the Bible? Honestly, I used to say, I don't know, this must be a, this, if there was an error, this got to be one right here. Because normally when you read about people that, that are in relationship with God, they're in covenant with God, they're in commitment, they're committed to God, that you, you think that they shouldn't have issues. But all you got to do is go to church. And if you don't, then volunteer, you'll see, people have issues. And so Samson's this guy in Judges 14 who has issues, starts in chapter 13, and I want you to just listen to this quick summary of this guy's life. Samson was a, what they call a Nazarite from birth. That was a type of vow or commitment you made. And with this vow and commitment, you didn't cut your hair, you didn't drink, certain, didn't drink strong drink, you didn't touch dead corpses. There was a list of things you didn't do. And you could be a man or a woman to make this vow, but this was a vow that was made when he was very young from birth in, in Judges 13 and 7. Samson was handpicked by God for special projects. God was going to use him to punish the Philistines who had vexed Israel. So he was a man with special assignments and special strength gifts. But what's interesting is he struggled with this commitment for not just a few months, 20 years. When you read his life, you see a 20-year struggle. Now that was a surprise to me because you know, I can get you struggling for a few minutes, a few days, but for five years, 15, 20 years, in and out, up and down, and at the center of his struggle, the one main area he struggled in 
was with his love life. That was his main thing. Now, I, I want you to note a couple of things that, that, that stand out to me. First of all, I want you to notice that, that he struggled in Judges chapter 14, verse 1. He struggled when he, with what he saw. If he saw somebody that looked good, that was it. Didn't have to say nothing. They just looked good. Here's what Judges 14.1 says. Samson was, went down to Timnah, and he saw, all he did was he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Samson went down to Timnah. Say that with me, please. Come on. Samson went and he saw a woman. Now, when you think about this, he didn't talk to her. Never heard a voice. Just saw. Mm, mm, mm. She must be wonderful. She must be very intelligent. I can tell because I can look at her. She, she's real humble, submitted. I bet she'll cook my food every day. One more time. Samson went down to downtown Atlanta. <laughs> and he saw a woman. Now, what's funny is some of you women said, that's exactly right. Men just like that. They see women, they think things, and they're crazy because men are motivated by sight. But they're not alone in this. Because some of you sisters went down to the south side and saw a man. You went to the club and who is that? Who is that? I always say women are more sophisticated. Men just drool. Women, they, they, they pull it together. Oh, don't look, girl. There you go. You're over there. 11 o'clock, baby. 11 o'clock. Look down. Don't look. Look. 11 o'clock. Mm hmm. Went down to Timnah and saw a woman. He loved and trusted what he saw more than what he knew. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. He loved and trusted what he saw more than what he knew. One more time. He loved and trusted what he saw more than what he knew. He didn't know. He had no way to know that. Sometimes we don't, you don't know. See somebody in church, you don't know. See people on TV, you want to marry them because they're a celebrity. You don't know who you get. So he goes down and he tells his parents these words. I have seen a woman in Timnah. I want you to go down and get her for me as a wife. Uh-oh. Now you want to marry her. Sin's one thing, marrying's another. One more time, let me say that for you. Sin's one thing, <laughs> marrying's another. So now he wants to marry, and in this culture, the dad and the parents had to be involved. And so they tried to talk to him. But there's a second thing I want you to notice about this man. He did not allow stoppers to have a voice in his love life. This is my life, and she looks good to me. His father and his mother in verse 3 of, of, Gen of Judges 14 said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brother and among all my people that you must go and find this ghetto woman? I'm sorry. Find a wife. 
It's in there deep. You have to look in the Greek, Hebrew, right down. <laughs> Some of y'all looking for ghetto. Where you say that? I don't see no ghetto. 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 I don't see that. Get a wife. That you would go get a wife. This is important. From this uncircumcised Philistine. This is Judges chapter 14, verse 3. Now, when you use the word uncircumcised, that meant that they had not been cut. They made no covenant with God. They made no commitment with God. They, they were not really that committed. I love when I ask people, I said, tell me about the person you're dating or you're thinking about marrying. And they said, well, they're nice. I said, so are, are they Christian? Are they saved? Do they love God? What, what's their spiritual commitment? They went, they, they're coming along. <laughs> that means you work in a project, right? <laughs> a lot of us do that all the time. You, 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 everybody's coming along. Well, the parents say, you know, this is an uncircumcised, this is a person with no covenant with God, they have no commitment to God. You know, can you please consider somebody else? They said, no. He said, no, please. Stabson said to his father, go get her for me. She pleases me well. But, but dude, you only saw her. You, you only saw, you, you didn't talk to her. You don't know what she's thinking. You don't know where her mind is. You don't know what God she worships. You don't know anything. You just, you just saw her. And, and I'm telling you, you have to fight that off in yourself. You're going to have to really, if you keep having these same results, you've got to pause and say, is it because of the way I approach this? So here's the guy, number one. Notice, one, number one, he, he's, he trusted what he saw. That's the first thing. Number two, he did not allow stoppers. Important statement. There's no stopper in his life. And most of us don't have one of those. Who can say to you, stop, and you stop? Who have you empowered to stop you? This whole thing about being grown and being independent can be a real tragedy in your life long term. Thirdly, he had a long seasons of distractions. He had long seasons of distractions because of his love choices. And you look at his life, you, you find that he went from one relationship to another. He was, and the Bible only records three of them. He might have had more, but it records three distinct things about his love life. And one of them that stands out the most, the one that was the undoing of him, was in chapter 16 of Judges, verse 4 through 5. It said, Afterward, it happened that he loved the woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him. Now, I want you to pause for a minute because this is interesting because this is a woman that the lords of the Philistine can just go talk to. They didn't have to go through her father or anything. So the assumption is that she's a prostitute. So here's this interesting thing about his life. Of the women that he is said to have been engaged with, one of them was a woman he saw in Timnah, chapter 14, verse 1. The second one was a woman mentioned in chapter 16, verse 1. All it said about this woman was, it was a prostitute he saw on the way to Gaza. He was just on a business trip, a way he was going, and he saw the woman, and he just stopped in, and she was a prostitute. So here's a guy who really seemed to have an issue because now he's back with another woman, and his love choices are just amazing. Have you ever just stepped back and took out a piece of paper and said, let me write down the people I've fallen in love with. This one didn't have a job. This one was loud. This, and you start, it's, it's amazing when you look at Samson's love life. Here's what you have to say. Is he really committed to God? You know what's amazing? He was. 
See, this is what we have to deal with. You can be very committed to God, but have an issue. That area that you don't deal with, and in his life, it was love choices. Over and over and over again. He kept, catch this now, he kept his Nazarite vow all of those years. He did not cut his hair. He, he, did, he, he violated a little bit here and there, but basically he, he was a man who said, I'm not going to give up all my commitment. He kept part of it. Every now and then, he, he, one time he, he touched a dead lion, you know, he did some, some bad things. But, but generally speaking, he kept his hair long. There are a lot of people. You may do a lot of things on Saturday, but you're going to be in church on Sunday. Why are you quiet? Come on, talk to me. You're going to come to church. Now, you cussed out two people last week, but you're here today. Because you could be. <laughs> you, you ain't cut your hair yet. You understand what I'm saying? Your hair's still long. And if I see you, you look committed. When you saw Samson from afar, you said, oh, that's Nazareth. Woo, hey, hey, Nazareth, yay. You know what I'm saying? And you see people, they go, hey, praise the Lord. God bless you. Hallelujah. Long hair. But they got issues. And if you really want to know where it normally starts, it's in this area. Because here's what you saw Samson do. He compromised his spiritual values. Over time, it led to a moment when he just kind of gave up all of his values. Normally when you, when, you, when you start sliding away from your commitment to God, it comes in small steps. A little bit of more drinking than you used to. Hanging out with the people you used to hang out with. Saying words and having attitudes and fights at home. And for you know, you don't, you don't look like you're as committed as you used to be. And over time, it's like your commitment begins to diminish. So here's the question. Does that describe the path of your life right now? Would I, would I look at you with a person who doesn't know you go to church, with a person who has never seen you in this environment, would they say you have a strong commitment to God? If I were to see the person you're in love with right now, would I say that, that person, when I look at your friends, what would I say? What would a person who didn't know you say? I, I love this story. It's true. I remember my church was, was um, I was someplace downtown, and, and he was cussing really good. I mean, black belt cussing. He was really <laughs> going at it. And, um, well, I can't say much. I used to be a brown belt myself, you know what I mean? But, <laughs> but <laughs> act like you don't know what I'm talking about, right? I, my family, they used to say bad words. My mama never cursed. My, my, boy, the rest of my family, they was good at it. And um, so, uh, so he was black belt cussing somebody. And blank, blank, you blank, and you blank. He was just going, and I was standing right behind him, and he just was cussing. Good, I mean professional cussing. <laughs> and, and I said, and he, he cussed, and he cussed, and he looked back, and he saw me, and he just kind of froze. <laughs> and I said, go ahead, man, you're doing good, buddy, let it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pastor, oh, pastor. Why are you my pastor? No, pastor, you cussed a minute ago. Let it roll. When we zoom in really close to the personal side of your life, are you committed? And here's what's important about that. If you're not, be honest. And I think that's a great moment. I think it's a great moment to say, I'm bad with money. I spend every dime I get. 
It's good to say, I hate exercise. I, just, I do. I like being skinny, but I hate working to be skinny. <laughs> I, being honest about the things in your life. Being honest, I like wild friends. I like people that just act crazy. Admit it. That's your flavor. When you can get honest about that, that's when you can change. Come on, say amen if you're hearing me. Come on. Be honest. I whine all the time. I complain all the time. Every conversation with me is about something that's wrong with me. All, I'm, that's how I, I thrive on that. It's hard to be honest, but what, what's really powerful is one day everybody sees it. In chapter 16, it comes to the light, verse 16. It came to pass when this woman, Delilah, pestered him daily with words, and she pressed him. Because these guys had come to her and said, hey, find out how Samson could be so strong. Because he was, he was killing all the Philistine people. He was, they hated him in Philistine because he was this great warrior, killing thousands. Of their, they, they just hated him. And so they were trying to find his weakness, and they couldn't find it. And so they asked Delilah to vex him and ask him. And he kept faking and giving her false answers. And, and then finally, he just got vexed one day, and he just told her, if you cut my hair, I lose all my strength. He understood a very powerful principle. As long as I'm committed to God and I don't give up everything, I still have some strength. And see, that's, that's the game you can play. You know, I go to church, I pray a little bit, I read a little bit, you know, and I still have some strength. But what happens if you live on the border long enough, eventually one day you cross. You get to a place where you give up everything. And some of you are on that border right now, you're tempted to be on that border right now, and in the name of love especially. In the name of, I need somebody. And you're not thinking about your commitment to God and God's commitment to you. He wants to broaden your border, but you are not focused. And you're about to make a decision. So he makes it. And here's what I've learned about this commitment thing. When I make a decision, when I do something, it does not just affect me. My, my commitment, my commitments... Don't just impact me. My daughter has these moments when she says things. She's 28 years old, and she said something that was so profound the other day. And she just said it in her head. She didn't say it to the person. She just said it in her mind. She said, um, don't be jealous of me because my parents didn't make the decisions your parents made. And I don't have the harvest you have. So don't, don't, don't bother me because I live in a different world than you live in. That, that, that was, man, well, as a parent, I went, tell them, girl. Who'd you tell that? <laughs> she said, I didn't tell anybody that. I just thought about it in my head. <laughs> my commitment has affected her life outcome. My commitment has affected her income. My commitment has affected her view of men. So when I cross over, it never ends with me. It's never just about me. And so Samson makes these bad commitments, and now he runs into this horrible moment where they come and they, they capture him, and he no longer has strength. His hair has been cut. He's no longer in, in, in covenant with God, or he broke his covenant. 
and they put his eyes out and they put him in prison and they, and they bring him out to this arena to publicly humiliate him. Now, I've always read this story in chapter 16, verse 30 of Judges, and I've always read this and always just had this Hollywood view of it because my view was he's going to push against these pillars, right? You've seen it in movies, and all these Philistines are going to die. As a matter of fact, here's how, here's how the Bible describes it. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines, and he pushed with all of his might at the temple. They put him against two pillars, and the temple fell on the Lord's, and it killed all these people. So that the dead that he killed at his death was more than all he killed in his lifetime. And I, I used to read that, and, and on one side of me I would go, yeah, he got the bad guys, right? But then I, then I thought about it for a minute. I thought about it because in verse 31 of, of, of Judges chapter 16, it said his brothers and his fa- all his father's household came down and took him. And they brought him up and they buried him. I thought about how in the world it must have felt to watch your son die this kind of death, to watch your son have his hair cut, to watch your son. This was a guy, imagine this funeral service. What do you say over Samson? What, do you, what, what kind of eulogy do you give him? This is my son who started out committed from birth. We modeled everything we can model for him. We showed him what it meant to be committed. He had every opportunity, but he made a decision to not be committed. He allowed this one area of his life to ruin his life. His, his, his love life showed that he was more committed to finding love than to staying with God. Imagine this eulogy. Imagine his brothers, his family members. You know, it never just affects you. It's never just about me. It's about all the people that I touch, that I see, that I know. You see, I believe for some of you, God is calling you to review your commitment, to ask yourself a question, am I really, truly committed to God? Am I really committed, not just to God? Let me take a step beyond that. Are you committed to where you work? Are you committed to your wife, to your children? Are you commit? What are you committed to? Are you just committed to you? the next dollar, the next advance, the next opportunity. I have to ask myself, why do I do this? Do I do this so that Ricky Temple gets to wear a little suit and get in front of people and say some words and, and have a moment? Is, is this about just getting paid? What is, what, why am I doing this? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I'm, I'm learning. Because I, I, I agree with God. I've been cut. I've, been, I've, I've bled, I, I feel what he feels. I got this morning and I went to breakfast and I, and I saw a young black man being arrested for, for not paying for his food. They said it was the second time he'd done it. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, I'm just, not, I'm just speechless. And, and as I saw them handcuff him and take him away and his friend, I thought to myself, I cannot just live for me. 
my commitment to God is not just about me. It's about affecting people like that. It's about finding the lost and the hurting. Come on, say amen. Here's why you need to let God cut you. Here's why you need to become a committed person. Because somebody needs your life. Somebody's son is lost. Somebody's daughter is lost. God did not save us so we can just dress up and come to church and dance in the aisle. God saved us to touch the world. Come on, say amen. And I can't allow my love life or my love appetites to so dominate me that I forget my commitment to God. I can't allow myself to be so intoxicated with power and dreams of money and resources that I forget that I'm no better than anybody in the world if I'm not a servant. I can't just live for me. I got to live for him. Come on, say amen if you're hearing me. And if, and if I live for him, I'm going to help you. And I'm going to inspire you to go help somebody else. That's the only reason we deserve this kind of building and this city to do what we're doing right now. That's the only reason we deserve this. Without that purpose, we have no value. Come on, church, I'm preaching now. You hear what I'm saying to you? I want you to stand with me for a moment, and I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to ask yourself, am I really committed? Am I really living under a covenant with God? Am I really devoted to him? Am I really committed to touching lives? Am I really devoted or am I just a religious person with a bunch of religious words and phrases? Who cares that you're filled with the Holy Spirit and the mighty burning fire if it doesn't burn out somebody else's pain, if it doesn't help anybody else? Who cares how blessed you are? Who cares about your shout moves and your songs if it doesn't touch anybody else's life? I live under covenant. I live under, com under a commitment to God because I believe he has the answer for me. I believe he has the answer for me. And I believe he's given me the gospel that has the answer for the world. Politicians don't have the answer. You ain't figured that out yet? <laughs> he has the answer. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Lift your hand with me. Father, today, we go home with one question. How committed are we really to you? Have we allowed our commitment to find love to overwhelm our commitment to touch and serve? How committed are we to your world? Do we care about the lost? Do we care about the sick? Have we become so religious and so inspired with our religious environments and sometimes our political views that we forget about people? Father God, touch hearts today. Lift those hands high. We lift our hands. And for many of us, we want to recommit ourselves, rededicate ourselves. If we don't know Jesus, never gave our life to him, today we rededicate our lives. We say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I have not served you, but today I get it. And Father, where some have lived from relationship to relationship, from day to day, week to week, hunting somebody, looking for somebody, bound on the internet with pornography, just can't seem to think about anything else, free them today. And let them say, God, my life is more important than that. My love life 
should be a reflection of my commitment to you. It should say, I can tell they love God because of the way they live up close. And so I honor you today, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name.